Good morning, everyone. My name's Simon. It's great to see you here. It's great to see a couple of new faces this morning, and I hope that uh, I hope you feel welcome. And uh, our regular members, I hope you do what you do so well, and that is to be um, be a welcoming church. Uh, we're going to spend some time looking at uh, at Psalm 93. We've, as Cam said, we've reached the end of our summer Psalms series. This is the last Psalm that we're looking at this time, this uh, this day, or this year, or this January. This January will never happen again. Uh, so that's that's a good statement to say. Uh, so next week we're we're launching into Mark's Gospel, and we've been reading through Mark's Gospel just subtly in our church services over the last couple of weeks, just to remind you of where we left off that Gospel last year and where we're going to return in uh, next week in Mark at the end of Mark chapter five. Uh, thank you, Fran, for reading. I really thoroughly loved just hearing the episode of Jesus casting out that demon and the legion that was left him. Thank you so much, Fran, for putting that. Um, presenting it to us so well. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord, as we reflect on Psalm 93, please help us to lift our eyes above uh, earthly things and, Lord, lift them up to heaven where you are seated uh, with Christ at your right hand. We thank you for the, your spirit who you sent out and poured out onto this world that we might have the ability to listen and to learn and to grow and to love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, hand up if you remember the movie The Wizard of Oz. Really? Okay. Um, uh, I know that our family hasn't watched it, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how one person in the congregation put their hand up. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful movie and, uh, and cutting edge for its day, you know, really great. But the, the wizard in The Wizard of Oz was a phony. It was a fake, wasn't he? There they, there they are, they've, they've followed the yellow brick road all the way up to the wizard, uh, only to be met with a great big green floating head that, that yelled at them and the great big balls of fire that, that, that rose up and, uh, and told them and demanded them what to do, to speak and not to speak. And yet um, when they came back later in the movie and the dog, I think, um, pulls the curtain aside and we see that there's, a, there's just a, a weak old man uh, cranking handles and speaking through megaphones. He's a pho- phony. Uh, in the end, he was empty. It's a little bit like m- m- pretty much everything that we put our trust in that's not God. When we come to bring our life to something or someone who is not God, then ultimately we're bringing that, our, our worship to something that will fail us, whether it's uh, movie stars or, or um, political leaders or spiritual leaders uh, whether it's um, someone on YouTube or it's your, your school teacher or even, even your parents, dare I say it. When we put all of our effort and worship to something that is just human, then we ultimately are setting that person up for a fail. Uh, I've lived long enough now to see that all the, all the, um, the next wave of geniuses that rise to the top of the rung eventually show their true colours and we understand that they're just human. This life uh, that we live on uh, has, is full of empty promises. Well, I'm going to use the, uh, the letters of... Well, I'm going to cheat a bit. Uh, the word empty is spelt E-M-P-T-Y. We're just going to use three of those letters, E, M and T, to uh, explain how God is not empty, uh, according to Psalm 93. How God is not empty. The first thing in Psalm 93 is that what stands out to me is that God is established. 
He is rock solid. Just have a look at verse uh, Psalm 93. It's on the inside of your sermon outline. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, the psalm is written out there in the inside of that sermon outline. Uh, Psalm 93, verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. That capital L-O-R-D is the name of of God. It's Yahweh, the the known God who made himself known to Israel, named and labelled the God who they know, he reigns. He's the king. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. First, verse 1 says uh, the, the psalmist looks to the Lord Almighty and says, this is where our hope is. Our, our hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, because the world is established in his hands and so therefore we can be comforted. Uh, the, the comment there is that the, that the world is established. It's rock solid and true. You know, if you're going to build your house on something, you want to build it on planet Earth, on this rock, uh, and build upon that. We can, we, can, we can be sure that a structure that you build on the Earth will stand true according to the engineer's purposes because it's standing on solid rock. And the psalmist says here, you know what, the, the world is established really because the Lord reigns. He's the one who rules over everything. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now, this is not a science uh, lesson. This is a trust lesson. This is that God made everything and therefore we can actually apply sciences to our world. Because God has established it, we can actually define the laws of nature. We can understand that this is, this is how the world tends to operate and we trust that it operates that way, not because it's chaotic and out of control, but because the Lord has chosen to, to put this world here and therefore we can live lives depending on gravity and, and, the, and agriculture. Uh, we can understand that one and one makes two. The world that God has created makes sense because God has established it. He has placed it on its foundation. We can play the, chick, the, the game of which came first, the chicken or the egg. But ultimately, God comes first. Uh, God is the one who has established everything. I, I'm trying to make the point, really, that when, even when we put our trust and our uh, engineering brains towards how to make sense of this world and, and live our lives on this world, to do it in ignorance of God's firm foundation is to, is, to, is, to, is to not identify where the source of life comes from. It's like praising a balloon but not recognising that it's filled with air. The air is what gives it, gives it its volume. You and I exist, we are, because God was and is and will be. Look at the very next verse he says, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. So just compare. Notice in verse 1 it says the world is established. But the psalmist isn't, pray, isn't saying the world is the most grounded thing in the universe. The psalmist is saying the world is established because God has been established for all of eternity. There's never been a time when God was not. He is and was and always will be. We can't, it's impossible to get into a time machine, full stop. But if there was a possibility to get into a time machine, you can't go back to a time where God just didn't exist. That reality is not real. God is not 
some public opinion God, that whoever, whichever God gets the most votes, well, that must be the right God. No, God is true. The truth is true, even if not everyone believes it. He's not the up-for-debate God or the elected opinion of the masses God, and he's not a temporary God or a God just for our society. He's not dependent on race, culture, space, or time. God is not theoretical, and actually he, we are in his hands. Uh, that's the reality of looking at, verse, at Psalm 93, verses 1 and 2, that not just the world is established and we can feel comfortable to live on planet Earth because God reigns, but we can be assured that God will always reign whether we are worshipping him or not. We'd be out of our minds to put God out of our minds. So God is established. He's firm. Um, I'm not sure if there's a better word than established. Like if you could find one that, that kind of anchors into your heart and soul that there's nothing actually more sure in this world than the existence of God. He, he, is, he is our anchor for our minds, for our sanity, for our heart and our soul. But then the psalmist moves on and describes that God is mighty. Verse 3 and 4. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. So that word mighty just jumps off the page at me. And the psalmist thinks, what's the most scariest, biggest, out of control, man cannot uh, harness its power um, uh, thing in creation? Well, the, the psalmist has gone to the seas, the roaring seas. And it's wonderful to go to the beach in the summertime and to go in some very mild and, 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 and lovely waters. But friends, we know that the, the waters can get very violent. And you can't just calm them down. Uh, the great oceans are powerful, mysterious, and merciless. I saw on the telly, just flicking by, and I saw a little documentary, uh, there was a, a, um, a submarine went right, right, right down to the depths of the ocean. I don't know how far it went. Uh, the, the sound was turned off. I could only watch what, what was going on the TV. The, the submarine went right down to the depths of the ocean where it's just, it just looks like a desert, um, uh, but it's full of water. And there's this little creature. It looks, it looks like a blowfish. It just sat. It was the ugliest looking fish I've ever seen. Sorry, sorry to the to the mother of that fish, uh, but your child is ugly. Um, funniest looking thing in, in the world. And it just sat there with his big beady eyes. Um, and and then uh, a, a crustacean crawled past it in the background. And suddenly, this blob that was just sitting on the on the bottom of the ocean lifted its legs. I'm like, a fish that had legs down there. It's crazy. Uh, it's not, not a scariest fish. Um, it didn't look life-threatening. But the point is that inside the ocean is just mysterious. That's where monsters live, isn't it? Um, I know we don't believe in monsters. But you get the idea. For the, for the psalmist, the seas, the roaring, pounding, thundering great waters of the sea is scary business. The psalmist wants us to go to the scariest thing that we can think of and then say, God is bigger than that. God is bigger than that. But the, it's actually a metaphor. Um, the, the roaring seas is, doesn't literally mean the roaring seas. It's just the, all, everything that encompasses that. Um, it's a metaphor for actually all who might rise up against 
God and his people. Isaiah 17 takes that metaphor and and spells it out for us. Isaiah 17 says, Woe to the, the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. You see, the metaphor is now transferred to the, to the nations around that might rage against Israel and, his, and God's people. But God is mightier than all of that. Isaiah 17 goes on to say, Although the peoples roar like the roaring uh, of surging waters, when he rebukes them, they flee away. They flee far away. Driven by the wind like chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before a gale. I love that. A tumbleweed, you, know, you see it in the Western movies, the little cluster of, um, of dried up branch uh, that can roll across a town with a bit of a breeze. But this is the comparison is like tumbleweed before a gale. This is what the, the roaring nations stand up against when the, when the mighty seas are overpowered by the mightier one, who, who is God. Friends, whatever you fear, you need to remember that God is stronger. Our temporal minds can grow. Can grow. Our temporal minds, our minds that actually only understand right here and right now and only imagine what tomorrow or a week in the future might, um, might consist of, our temporal minds can grow in fear or can grow in faith. As we... As we look at the things that scare us and then give them more power, or we turn our hearts and minds and intellect and prayer to the mighty one, the eternal God who's established and mighty, and tell him the things that, that, that worry us, that fear us. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of today or tomorrow? Maybe you're afraid of the past. Well, God is stronger than everything. Um, Psalm 121 says, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We lift our eyes off the things that scare us and turn them to God who is stronger than everything. E is for established and M is for mighty. These are words that help us to worship God. Try and conjure up anything in this world that is more eternal than God. You can't. So let's worship him. Everything else is passing away. Uh, We brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is established. He's eternal. Uh, Try and think of something that's stronger than God. You can't. Because everything that exists, exists only because he wills it and he allows it and he sustains it. But as I was meditating on this, I I love this imagery of Psalm 93. I love these two points that have brought... Uh, have come to the service for me that he is established and he's mighty and I do want to worship God like that and I agree with it um, but even I want to confess that even as I'm wrestling with this sermon I'm thinking yes but so what okay great we can all acknowledge that God is eternal and that he's mighty awesome let's sing a song and go home but I think the third letter is is really what gives me the most comfort uh, I won't flick to the screen yet I won't spoil it you see, when, when, when our world, past, present and future, thinks about worshipping, we want to look at something, don't we? We want to visualise what that thing is. It could be a statue, if we go back in time, or maybe many cultures today still have statues, as we bring our offerings to a, a little item that represents something else. 
We, bring, we come to, to this statue, this s- stagnant, stationary object that holds promise, but it's actually empty, like the Wizard of Oz in the opening illustration. We come to the things that we worship. It may not be a statue. It might be a being. It might be someone in your life. It might be a, a movie star or, or, or someone uh, famous. You don't know them personally, but you love them, and you, in some way or fashion you worship them, but they are empty. They fall short. God is not the God who is stationary, where we can erect a statue of him that somehow captures his his uh, his his establishmentness. Yes, you can see why I stumbled over that. Uh, a statue that somehow represents how established he is, and a statue that represents how mighty he is. And we come to that and go, yes, great, love it. It fills my heart with soul. No, we need something something tangible. In fact, this is why the last verse in Psalm ninety three is a bit striking, because we move from his establishment. His, his, his power, and then we don't go to statues, but we go to his statutes. Uh, verse 5, your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. It's not simply how long he's lived for, how unshakable he is, and how strong he is. It's what he's told us that is what, we, what we're drawn to worship. It's his statutes, his laws, or if you like, um, his, his spoken promises, his plans for all of eternity, they stand firm and they're righteous and holy. Everything about his house, the temple of God where he dwells, is good and it stands for endless days. And so we're drawn to him, yes, because he's established and yes, because he's mighty, but actually because he is trustworthy. And friends, this established, eternal uh, God one day became fragile in the form of a man. Once upon a time became weak and able to die the death on the cross. One day this God who is mightier than everything submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, Lord, because you established everything. That's Psalm 93, verses 1 to 4. You are worthy, Lord, because you are God. And and I want to worship you because you made me. You made this world. And therefore, as a creature of yours, I want to worship you. I want to respect you and honor you and praise you. But Revelation, that's Revelation 4. You're worthy, Lord, because you established everything. But Revelation 5 says, you are worthy because you were slain for us because you laid down your life for us, because you're not just this high, out there, great big green floating head that's powering out laws and order. You're the God who came into the world to lay down his life so that I can come to you and ask for forgiveness for all the things I've done in my life. That I can come to you and, and ask for forgiveness for my frailty, for my weakness, for my fear, and ask you, Lord, to grow me up in faith. Like the man who came to Jesus and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. What a wonderful prayer that is. To acknowledge, yes, I do believe that you are established and mighty, but I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. The beginning of John's gospel, 
uh, reminds us that though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. When Jesus, when the word, when the eternal word became flesh, he, he stepped foot on this, on this world that he made. The established one st- stood on something less established than him, the thing that he established. And even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. We're going to start our series next week in Mark's Gospel as we go back to the Lord Jesus Christ as he continues to introduce himself to, um, to humans in, uh, in first century uh, Israel. And uh, friends, their hearts 2,000 years ago were not far different to yours and mine. Uh, longing for, um, for knowledge about the universe, longing to be known and longing to be wanted and forgiven and being a part of God's kingdom. We're going, to be, we're going to reintroduce ourselves to this Jesus who is established and mighty and trustworthy because he, he says, come to me all you who are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll invite you into my family and you can be established for all eternity when you come to Christ for forgiveness. Let me close in prayer. Father, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how firm a foundation you are, how eternal you are, and how infinite is your power. That is difficult to conceive. But Lord, perhaps even more difficult is to conceive that all that might and firm foundation and power is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins. Father, please help us today, tomorrow, and for all of our life, to remember that Jesus is our stronghold, that he is the king who reigns. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to acknowledge um, King Jesus as the ruler of our hearts. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.